gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Now looking at his watch because apparently a woman's spoken too long. God's kingdom will come. It is in his hands. We trust in him. We don't trust in governments. If you want to go down that path today, I will do it. Tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. Hello and welcome to Edge of the Election, the Edge of the Crowds Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and tonight I am joined by Jason on this beautiful Thursday evening. Busy week for me as I get involved in student politics, so I've tried to make some time for this this week. But how are you going uh, tonight, Jason? I'm pretty good. It's uh, The weather's warm. Yeah. It's really yeah. warm. Uh, it's allergy season started early as well, it seems. like I know Scar- Scarily warm. Yeah. My allergies have been kicking in a bit more as well, so I feel like spring is is, is burgeoning. A few other things that are burgeoning, I suppose. We have this upcoming Warrandyte by-election that, as most people know, I will be voting in. It's gotten even more like insane, it looks like. A few more candidates have popped up in the ballot, a few more independents. It looks like Family First will also be contesting in addition to the candidates we discussed in a previous episode. As also, as we, as we discussed, Labour still have not fielded a candidate, so I uh, have still left the seat abandoned essentially uh what are you what are you thinking jason i just think it's it's a is it just money like why spend the money on something they thought they were probably going to lose but it didn't seem like it was entirely unwinnable like in in a federal election we wouldn't think of something less than five percent as a completely unwinnable seat it does seem like a strange like i i would like to know why or what the thinking behind it was yeah i still i still don't really get it i suppose it might just be like a bit of a bit of a bit of like confidence right like you know Vic Labor's doing doing pretty pretty great right now they probably just don't really feel the need to invest themselves into into poor old poor old Warren Diet I suppose uh, th- throwing us the wolves a little bit the wolves of, of family first and a variety of independents who like quote Ayn Rand on their websites and such so <laughs> um, yeah uh, so no no labor uh, for, for us it seems yeah interesting stuff but also so somewhat interesting, so maybe, maybe a bit depressing as well. Uh, with The Voice, there continues to be a steady, although somewhat slight, decline in the yes vote with 43% in favour and 47 against. I think almost every state is now against it except Victoria, which is sort of on the brink right now, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's statistically uh, negligible. Uh, it doesn't a one percent margin is well within the margin of error yes. so it's not really uh, i i would say they're all very much in doubt yeah yeah that, that's how it looks basically and you had something to know about the strong versus the soft support i believe yeah so around mid-july there was i i can't remember i can't remember exactly which report it was uh, i'll um i'll have to look that up but the there was uh some writing in the um, AFR, I believe, about there being more strong support for the yes vote and more soft support for the no vote. And that being some kind of beacon of hope. But that seems to have, have turned completely in this last gamut of polls that have come up, which kind of show that the, the no vote is solidifying and the yes vote is more soft than than the no vote. The people who say they're a hard yes or a hard no, the hard no's are 
greater in number. It's left me wondering, like, is this Thalia a case of the voice being doomed from the start or is this a matter of marketing and campaigning? I think it's... uh... Well, it, this might be a controversial opinion. I think it was doomed from the start. If it actually went harder and was something more tangible that people could fight for rather than something that seemed quite symbolic like just uh, a permanent think tank that has the ear of the uh, executive, then maybe it would be actually an easier sell if it, if it was actually more substantial or more extreme. There's very little that the yes side can argue for except for it, you know, making people feel good. I don't know. Yeah, I think because I, I, I've, I've been, you know, sort of brought that, brought, you know, I think pretty consistently supportive of yes, like since it was like, you know, since the whole sort of thing kicked off. But like this, I guess now I'm sort of left wondering now that things are looking this bad, I guess I just kind of feel like, well, was was this the way to go? I think there was, al- there was always going to be difficulty with like going the constitutional route that always has been in Australian history. We really we need to look back to Chifley and trying to nationalize the banks and such that, yeah, like the constitution is pretty, is it can be a bit of a dead end in Australia. Like, this is something goth Whitlam realized as well, hence why he sort of gave up on the constitution. Was just like, all right, we'll work within it to the extent that we can. And I think, uh, I think that Labor have sort of bumped into that themselves with uh, with the whole de- debacle over over the voice. Well, yeah, could could they have done something more more impactful but less symbolic within the current kind of? And you know, I'm still going to vote yes, but the idea that it's just a symbolic thing has become so pervasive, and I don't think it's just a symbolic thing you have similar kinds of uh things in like uh canada and new zealand recognizing the indigenous peoples but it does seem like this was a massive hail mary that didn't need to fail like if you never did it to begin with then it wouldn't fail I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's all, <laughs> all, 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 all pretty, pretty depressing stuff. I will say uh, because I, I think this will. I don't know. I think this will probably lead to essentially what happened after Chifley tried to try to nationalize the banks. But I just think that uh, this will lead to another sort of era of us not really trying to mess with the constitution for a while longer, which I think will be disappointing because it will sort of preclude a lot of other political possibilities as well. Yeah, um, yeah. With the voice obviously still being uh, being an important one, but you know, also like. For, a republic as well so i think yeah. this represents a pretty uh pretty depressing end to you know some pretty important political change in australia unfortunately well they they tried to make it so easy too they tried to make it like yeah. it's not going to do anything it's really not going to do anything and one of the interesting things on the um i like that the right is always like not like that's sarcastic is always to, able to make these coalitions of people who like logically contradict each other so the two reasons cited by the major by the majority of no voters are that it won't make any difference at 58% and that it's going to give indigenous australians more rights than other australians at 42%. These things aren't logically consistent. It either doesn't have any power or it has all of the power. Yeah, okay. That, that's, make, that's that's pretty interesting. That's that's a pretty interesting <laughs> uh interesting poll I think. Uh because yeah, you're exactly right and I think it, it would represent like the different demographics with 
within that, right? Of, of I would say like that that probably 58% number to me would be a lot of the like the soft no people, the people who, you know, who, who might have been willing to to accept more, but don't really want to, I don't know, kind of risk it on something that they might see as not not being uh, substantive enough to, to, to effect change. So I, I think yeah. that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Cool. All right. Anyway, yeah. The voice. What can you do? I mean, also, also of note this week. Uh, so at the uh, the annual conference, the Victorian uh, Victorian Labor, following a motion passed by the Australian Services Union faction of their Labor left, have called upon Labor to recognise Palestinian statehood, which is a pretty big, pretty big move from Vic Labor, who are obviously you know tend, tend, do tend towards the the left of the party. This has also sort of been reported on uh, like simultaneously with a decision by Penny Wong to adopt the language of occupied Palestinian territories to refer to um, to, to Palestine, uh, which has brought Australia back in line with international standards in terms of reference to the to to Palestine, essentially. So bring us back in line with like Europe for instance, which is a pretty, it's a, it's certainly a step, right? You know, Labour still, uh, it's not, uh, uh, I guess, Labour are still certainly attached to Israel. Uh, but I think this, this does represent something resembling progress. And following this Victorian uh, Labour conference, it appears that there might be movement on this in the national conference as well upcoming. We'll see if anything comes of it. I'm not super hopeful personally, but I suppose it's something. It is something. I wholeheartedly welcome any kind of progress towards anything on this front but it's it's also something that i was uh, wondering is how the the us might react to something like this the our recent increasing kind of alliance it's always been there but with the the AUKUS uh, alliance that certainly those three member states have always been very good friends with israel and there's something that i was confused about because I can't quite determine whether US policy is what Trump did for like stupid reasons or this and that or what US policy actually is. Like the whole moving the embassy to and recognizing Jerusalem as the capital. Is that actually a broader deep state security position of the US or is it just something that Donald Trump did? Because he does stuff. I mean, I, I would probably lean towards it being more more a Trumpist thing. I would say I, I believe a lot of like Trump, like Trumpist foreign policy was in the end like quite contrary to a lot of to American interests, right? Like a lot of it that like, didn't really secure like strong like ties in the region or uh, in, in particularly in the Middle East or anything, right? Um, it, it legitimized a lot of like pretty terrible like global actors, uh, like Trumpist foreign policy. Uh, I think what was it? I think it sort of was quite anti-technocratic in a lot of ways but not in a particularly good way as well I, I, I would add um, in terms of how in terms of how like this would affect like our relationship with America to be honest like I don't think this is going to lead to the Labour government recognising Palestinian statehood right I don't think that's what this is going to build up to in the near future at all uh, I think it might mean potentially a slight moderation in terms of the public stance that the Labour Party takes on, on Palestine which might you know sort of carry some like impact in the, in the discourse 
at the very least. But like, I think, yeah, I think it's it it is worth noting that like, yeah, when we do have this strong relationship with America, with the United Kingdom, we're probably not going to see much significant movement on on um on Palestine. I don't think. Well, it's it's never seemed further away that like something might happen that uh, starts to uh, uh well like yeah, nineteen sixty seven was further away. But I remember the early noughties and uh, the late 90s and uh, the whole kind of two-state solution being quite a normal idea. Yasser Arafat and the, the there seemed to be a much more in the zeitgeist there seemed to be a feeling that, that this could actually happen that there could be two states at some point in the future. At the moment it just seems like there is a state and a prison camp. Yeah, essentially. I think, yeah. I mean, on the topic of, I suppose, security policy or whatever you want to call it, we also have a bit of dodginess with the DOD, it appears. Uh, Jason, do you want to elaborate for it? Okay, so the Department of Defense has been spending a lot of money on consultancy firms, specifically KPMG. There was a Four Corners episode recently that has been producing a lot of headlines about consultancy firms in general and what they're actual nature is in in the Australian political landscape and they have kind of become or been exposed to be what we thought they were they are outsourced extensions of governance they they are in a in in some form or some sense privatized government and we kind of knew that this was the the situation obviously but it, it kind of all started when Tony Abbott said I'm going to sack 15,000 public sector workers and put a freeze on hiring. Apparently work still needs to be done. People still need to do stuff and government still needs to happen even if you can't hire people to do those jobs. So what all of these government departments started doing was outsourcing a lot of work to these what were originally glorified accountancy firms but started to become more and more um, kind of like weird governmental bureaucracies in and of themselves, but just completely opaque and unable to be um, scrutinized and overpaid. The strangest thing that I that I found about this documentary was that there were so many people in it who were reacting with kind of a disbelief, like how, how dare they? I can't believe anyone could be so uncouth to do this. And it kind of seems like just what would happen if this is what you do if you privatize governmental operations what do you reckon yeah i mean not not a big fan of these dodgy public private partnerships really they ruined the victorian transport system for one, for one thing seems like they're ruining many of our important government departments as well uh because like i feel like many of many of the usual arguments for privatization like just don't really seem to work in the case of like these public private partnerships right where like you know they're meant to bring in i guess like competition and stuff right it's not really competition because like the government just decides who's who they're going to hire at the end of the day right like you know and, th- and then they will often rely on that on that particular uh, on that particular company uh even when it is not necessarily like to their financial benefit as we have seen here where like these consultants are not you know are not economical right like they're they're not the best the best choice financially speaking so it's, it's just like a, a load of a load of shit like all, all, all the way through it seems and i know we've had this this drama with uh with 
Deloitte as well, uh, who he hired to upgrade the MyGov website at the start of the pandemic, it appears. And then they didn't even do a good job of it. <laughs> we just wasted all, all this money on it. Um, yeah, they li- yeah, they literally said that it would have been better if they weren't involved. Yeah. And that's $47 million. Yeah, I, 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 do, I, I do miss the days of just having like a, you know, a, a boring fucking like bureaucracy, right? Like, you know, a bureaucracy that, you know, is, is, is purely government run, uh, that is not beholden to private, often like highly corporatized interests. Like, I, I, you know, it has its problems, but I will say I'm not, I'm not being, I, I don't mean to be idealistic, but, you know, we, <laughs> we used to be a real country. <laughs> we, we used to, we used to have proper bureaucrats doing these things instead of these like, these, these up-jumped, like, commerce graduates deciding everything in this country. I don't know how it was ever sold as this would be a cheaper way of doing things. You pay, like, a, a few bureaucrats 70 grand a year to do something, or you give KPMG $47 million or Deloitte or whatever. Surely just the fact that there is a transference of money between two different organizations is going to create issues. And what kind competition all of these these big four talk to each other they all they've all sorted out their various areas and turf and all that kind of thing it's like uh you know like people don't have to meet in a smoky back room for things to be collusion yeah <laughs> yeah exactly right so uh yeah it, it all it all looks pretty dodgy i I hope we move past this new era of consultants. That would be excellent, please. And thank you. <laughs> All right. We do not have, yeah. Do, are we going to like leave and then come back? No, we don't have any time. Okay. Sign off. Okay. Quick. Uh, all right. That's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We are Edgerly Election, the Edgerly Crowd's Politics Podcast. You can find uh, our other stuff on sports, politics, and culture at edgerlycrowd.com. 